0: Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Vinus, and I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm joined today by my co-host... Jonathan Edens. I'm a psychiatric PA. All right, well, today we are going to be talking about understanding ADHD. And uh, we did have a relatively recent uh, podcast on ADHD, episode number 44, and that was with uh, Sharonette and Amanda, and they really focused on the pediatric... Uh, population, diagnosis, treatment, etc. cetera, uh, we are now in the process of starting a bit of a mini series on ADHD. And so we wanted to uh, give kind of a 30,000 foot overview of ADHD as our first uh, um, session of the, that series. And then from there, we'll dive into some uh, very important topics when it's related to ADHD. And, you know, one of the reasons that I think it's really important to look at this topic is because uh, ADHD is uh, something that I think a lot of people have become more aware of recently. And uh, there's a lot of people wondering, you know, how can we address this, not just with a traditional model, but also uh, from a holistic perspective. So, Jonathan, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of your thoughts about ADHD you know how we diagnose it uh that sort of thing why don't we just dive into it
1: yeah let's uh we'll start with a a, a definition of adhd and um you know we can we can obviously go uh, very extensive in terms of a definition and and we will dive into a little bit of like the understood sort of mechanism behind it but on a basic sense it's uh basically a disorder um, that's predominantly characterized by symptoms of inattention impulsivity and hyperactivity
0: what did you say <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, maybe maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need to make a diagnosis today right so yeah th- so those are the big 3 inattention hyperactivity and impulsivity and you know often when we're in the adult population i guess i'd uh, i'll ask you this question um in the adult population what are some of the significant differences that we see from that of a pediatric population
0: well oftentimes at least from my experience i haven't seen as much of the hyperactivity uh, but, you know, with, with, uh, young people, uh, kids, uh, the girls often don't have as much of the hyperactivity mm. either, but they can, they can, but definitely in adults, uh, generally less hyperactivity, although I have seen that aspect and then the impulse control can still be, uh, pretty bad,
1: but it's often manifests in, in different ways. Different ways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of um, one of the things that I notice a lot in terms of the the relative impulsivity is in conversation. Uh, so you know, maybe somebody with a child, obviously, you're going to see that a lot, but it's kind of expected that a kid may not be able to wait their turn to interrupt you. But with adults, you know, socially, that's not really good uh, practice and so often that might be the case even when i'm doing the diagnostic or going through the screening questions and as <laughs> as they're thinking of the answer before i finish they're interrupting me you know and and giving me the answer beforehand right finishing your sentences etc all
0: try my best, especially in this episode, (laughs) not to do that because sometimes I do that myself, but yes,
1: good point. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, and used to be, you know, ADHD used to be predominantly seen as a adolescent disease and now, you know, it's gaining more sort of popularity and awareness about it being, uh, within the adult population. So, um, maybe even in the time that you've been practicing, there's been more acceptance of that, uh. Can you, can you walk through that a little bit? Just what, what you've seen?
0: You know, a lot of people think that, oh, you're just going to grow out of ADHD once you hit adulthood. And, and, and it is true that for most people, they are able to focus a little better once they become adults. And a big part of that is because the frontal lobe is developing. That's Mm -hmm. the last part of the brain to develop. And that has to do with attention and, uh, impulse control task switching, that sort of thing. And really it doesn't fully develop until we're 25 to 30 years old. Uh, So oftentimes the symptoms do improve, but studies actually show that probably the majority of people with ADHD in childhood, actually do have at least uh, some degree in, and could even meet criteria for ADHD in adulthood. Uh, some studies are showing, or maybe around sixty percent of those that have had ADD in uh, childhood actually have it in adulthood. So it doesn't just evaporate for a lot of people.
1: Sure. Uh, now I notice you just you switched between ADHD and ADD. So I I get this a lot. Um, and would you mind kind of clarifying for us what the differences are and whether or not that difference is. Uh, meaningful? Yeah. So ADD stands for
0: attention deficit disorder, and that's just kind of a general umbrella term. ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And so uh, there's not a huge difference in, in my mind. That's why I tend to use them kind of interchangeably, because even when we look at uh, the diagnosis, and we, we diagnose according to the ICD-10 and the uh, DSM, uh, there's actually subtypes. So even though they say ADHD, the subtype would be predominantly uh, inattentive, for example, rather than um, hyperactive or, uh, yeah.
1: So if it's so if it's ADHD predominantly inattentive, that is synonymous with ADD. Is right, what you're saying? Exactly. So uh, let's go through some of the inattention symptoms real quick. So these would be things like difficulty focusing on tasks or activities, being easily distracted or forgetful, uh, failure to follow instructions or complete tasks, difficulty in organizing tasks, and avoidance of tasks that require sustained mental effort. Yeah any any comments on any of those (laughs) no i mean basically
0: it's just you can't pay attention you can't stay with something until it's completed and you tend to bounce around a lot going one thing to another which can lead to
1: a great difficulty getting anything done sure the one one i wanted to comment on was the forgetfulness you know I've, i've even had i've had uh, individuals in their 30s and 40s, right, that have come to me and they're they're complaining of the primary symptom of forgetfulness, and obviously they're not dealing with dementia, right? But oftentimes this can be uh, kind of the prevailing symptom that is recognized by them and those around them uh, that they have an inattention issue, right? It's they're just they're forgetting things constantly, right?
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about the hyperactivity impulsivity symptoms. So Jonathan, you want to? Yeah, so those, those would
1: include things like fidgeting, squirming, difficulty with remaining seated, excessive talking, interrupting others or blurting out answers, uh, or difficulty waiting for one's turn. So as Dr. Bynas said, we are we don't see these quite as often uh, to the extent uh, in adults that we see them with children. Um, so often that that uh, is going to manifest itself a lot of times with um uh, some fidginess and restlessness wanting to get up say during meetings or during church or or something along those lines right but uh given the societal pressures many many individuals can kind of restrain themselves that doesn't mean that they don't want to get up right that doesn't mean that they're not shifting around in their seat often but it is uh not as intense you know usually adults aren't bouncing off the walls for example right and oftentimes
0: uh that excessive talking and interrupting is more prominent so that i guess we could say it would be kind
1: of part of the hyperactive part in many adults. So there's a couple other common symptoms that we just wanted to briefly uh, address. And, uh, and and these are not uh, you know, necessary by any means for the diagnosis, but uh, just because of the... Uh, The way in which ADHD affects people, um, a lot of times we see these as kind of secondary symptoms. So emotional dysregulation, which basically just means difficulty with managing your emotions. Um, This can manifest itself with mood swings, irritability, um, et cetera. Um, Also executive functioning skills. So this would be things like uh, planning, organizing, and prioritizing tasks. We do do tend to see as being often challenging for those with ADHD.
0: Absolutely. And it, it actually goes along with what I was saying earlier. It really can become very difficult for people to get things done. And I've had some patients uh, with ADHD who have been trying to like move, for example, out of their house for mm. months and so, some people even for years. And it's like they cannot get organized enough to actually put that all together. Because there's so many elements with some of these things, like whether it's moving or having some other more complex uh, task that actually putting that all together and executing it properly can become very
1: difficult and sometimes seem impossible. Sure. Uh, moving on, let's go through just real quick. And I know Shannon covered this in the previous one, but uh, there's specific criteria that we use for diagnosing ADHD according to the DSM. Dr. Barnes, would you mind walking us through those?
0: Sure. So inattention and or hyperactivity must be present for at least six months uh, to a degree that is inconsistent with developmental level and negatively impacts social and academic and occupational activities. And I think that's important to realize, like, you know, you can't compare exactly the symptoms of a five year old with a 10 year old or a 12 year old because you want to basically realize that, yeah, there's going to be progression, but if they're really lagging uh, behind with their ability to focus, then it's like, okay, now we need to uh, take a look. Is this still within that range of normal? And they're going to develop um, better concentration skills uh, more quickly here, or are they really lagging significantly? Then that could be a sign of the ADHD. Uh, Several symptoms actually have to be present before the age of 12. Uh, again, this is for the uh, DSM criteria. Uh, it, you actually have to have, even for adult ADHD, some of those symptoms uh, early on mm-hmm. in childhood. Uh, several symptoms must be present in two or more settings. So in other words, it can't be just at school or just at home. Uh, it has to be at least in two settings. And uh, there must be clear evidence of impairment in functioning. And that can be you know, social functioning, occupational uh, functioning, academic <clears throat> functioning. And the symptoms uh, are not just be- because of another mental disorder.
1: Yeah. So some of these uh, just to kind of focus on them, you know, there's, there's many other conditions that would be like a differential. Uh, and, you know, we're you know, often I've had p- patients come to me and they kind of meet criteria other than say they didn't have those symptoms prior to uh, let's just say adulthood, right. Uh, in, as a child, right. They functioned very well in school. Um, there's no corroborating evidence to suggest that it was a problem then. And, and so in those types of situations, we're looking for alternative ways, right. And some people have come with the sort of hope for the diagnosis, been sort of disappointed by the fact that they just simply didn't meet criteria. Uh, so these can definitely be, these criteria are definitely useful uh, when we're trying to make, you know, that, that sort of holistic assessment about whether or not. And it's something we want to. Yeah. And I think that's a really
0: important point because uh, ADHD often can become a secondary syndrome, if you will, or the symptoms of ADHD, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning major concentration difficulties. When I see people with high levels of anxiety, for example, or even depression, um, those are some of the common ones or, of course, traumatic brain injury. Um, All of those are very common uh, disorders where we see major
1: uh, concentration deficits uh so moving on talking about the epidemiology uh let's uh well first you want to define that word for us dr because <laughs> people may not know well basically
0: epidemiology has to do with the study of uh, the incidence of uh, diseases and trying to basically look at yeah how how many
1: people have this uh, this specific issue? So, talking about the the prevalence of ADHD, according to the CDC, they suggest that uh, ADHD affects around five to ten percent of children and around two to five percent of adults globally. Right. So, this means that um, you know, based based on that percentage, that millions of people worldwide are affected by the disorder as defined by the DSM. Yeah. One of the interesting things uh, that
0: I was looking at recently was there's a study that the uh, they did in the journal of, of the American Medical Association and they were looking at the uh, prevalence of uh, diagnosed ADhD in children and over the last twenty years and they they looked at numbers from nineteen ninety seven uh, all the way through uh, two thousand and sixteen and they actually found uh, that back in nineteen ninety seven there was uh six point one percent prevalence and then uh, in 2016 that jumped up to 10.2 percent and so it was quite a jump a 67 percent increase mm-hmm. um, of course the the authors say hey we don't know if this is because there's just more awareness and increased uh, diagnosis because of that like not only for amongst practitioners the awareness but also amongst the general public kind of seeking for help or if it is uh, just related
1: to, um, an actual increase uh, in in the disease. Sure, and uh, there's there's other interpretations of that data, which we'll uh, maybe dive into here in just a second. So let's let's actually talk about the potential causes behind ADHD. So both the genetic and environmental factors. Uh, do you want to get us started?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, with any disorder, there's often uh, maybe I should say. Almost always, um, when, especially with mental health, some sort of uh, genetic uh, predisposition. Um, so with ADHD, it's no exception. There's there is a genetic uh, predisposition for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so that can then uh, affect the way that the brain is developing and the uh, levels of neurotransmitters such as uh, uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, which are really important when it comes to uh, focusing and even levels of serotonin, which can help regulate anxiety. Uh, so there's, there's different issues related to the levels of neurotransmitters that can affect
1: yeah, that's probably that's definitely one of the most well-known hypotheses. Uh, as as uh, in regards to just mental health disorders in general, you know, most people have heard of neurotransmitters and what we call the catecholamine hypothesis, which is essentially dysregulations of the most common neurotransmitters that people are aware of. Uh, and so, with ADHD, like you mentioned, dopamine, norepinephrine. But in ADHD, we also tend to see some structural differences uh, in in the brains of those that have been diagnosed um so the first one that we'll we'll talk about is reduced volume and activity in the prefrontal cortex so the prefrontal cortex is the region kind of in the the, the most front uh, anterior sort of portion of the brain um, this is involved with things like executive function which we mentioned before so uh somebody that has a uh, uh underdeveloped prefrontal cortex is often going to have difficulty with planning organizing mm-hmm. and prioritizing to- tasks. Um, do you want to talk about the, the next sort of region of the brain that's affected? Sure. Uh, and
0: before I do, you know, one comment on the, the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex is there's a lot of factors that, um, impact the development of that. Um, and so there's, uh, different things like high levels of stress and even, uh, trauma in childhood that can impact uh, the development of the frontal lobe. And so if individuals have been subjected to high levels of stress and trauma, uh, for example, then that can actually increase uh, the likelihood of uh, developing uh, ADHD. And uh, the next next one that we wanted to talk about was actually the uh, basal ganglia. Basal ganglion in the in the brain actually has to do with uh, more automatic um, movements, behaviors, habits, and uh, there are some studies that actually show a reduced um, volume of that area of the brain as well. And so th- and that seems to be more related to kind of this impulsivity. It's almost like, yeah, that automatically they 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 don't have that regulation. they just kind of like do whatever. Feel, feels, they feel like doing sure. in the moment. Uh, so, um, again, that, that also, I think can be related sometimes, uh, to stress, uh, trauma, et cetera, because the emotional part of the brain, it's not just the frontal lobe is underdeveloped, but the emotional part of your brain is actually hyperactive. And that can then
1: in turn affect the, uh, the way that the basal ganglia is funct- functioning. So one other area, and there are other areas of the brain that are uh, indicated in ADHD, but one other one that we wanted to focus on today was the cerebellum. Um, so the cerebellum is typically thought to involve um, the coordination of motor movements, but has also been found to have an important role in cognitive functions such as attention, language processing, executive functioning, error monitoring, inhibitory control, and working memory. Now, that was quite a mouthful, Dr. Binus. Um, Do any of those kind of stand out to you that you wanted to comment on?
0: Well, the one thing I th- I think was interesting that they are looking at, so the cerebellum actually has to do with uh, balance uh, mm-hmm. as well, and so uh, if our cerebellum is is damaged, for example, then it makes it di- difficult to walk in a straight line. And so one one intervention that they've sometimes uh, tried with uh, kids with ADHD is learning, doing like balancing exercises and coordination exercises. And that does seem to help a significant uh, proportion. And so, yeah, with the cerebellum, we're not sure if it's, you know, cause or effect, if, if it's that the ADHD actually causes uh, the cerebellum to, in, in, in essence, either not develop properly or maybe even change, or if the uh, cerebellar issues um, are actually part of what causes ADHD.
1: So let's talk about some, some other potential causes and risk factors. So these are going to be more environmental, uh, you know, risk factors, any, uh, you want to get us started? Well, one that really jumps out at me,
0: uh, is, uh, actually media. Um, and it's an interesting one because I think there's, there's certainly been some controversy around that. Does, you know, media really, uh, trigger ADHD and, and, in in my experience, and also in looking at the literature, I think it can be a huge contributing factor. I don't think it's usually the one thing by itself. Uh, oftentimes, there's predispositions, there's other issues that are going on. Sometimes it might, if it, if there's really a lot of excessive uh, media overuse. Um, and you know, si- simple study that I thought was really interesting is that there's uh, researchers at the University of Sus- Sussex. Um, they had. Uh, three groups uh, of of individuals. Uh, and they wanted to see how the, the phone, their smartphone actually uh, affected their ability to focus. And so uh, one group, they had their phone where they could actually see it. The other group uh, was in their bag or somewhere. It was in the room, but it was where they couldn't see it. And then the third group actually had their phones uh, away from them outside of the room. And so they saw a distinct difference between each one of those groups. Uh, the ones that uh, had the phone removed out of the room actually had the best uh, focus. And then those that uh, had it where they could see it uh, had the worst focus. And, and this the tricky thing about a, fo- a, a phone and, and our use of media is oftentimes we don't realize that it is impairing our ability to stay on task and to focus. And uh, there's other studies um, that have shown, like, for example, uh, when people use a lot of social media, uh, that that also can increase um, ADHD. And they're, they're not 100, the researchers aren't 100% sure yet um, if the link is because social media actually does increase the risk of anxiety and depression and that in turn triggers more ADHD or if it's just more direct um, uh, ca- causal. But uh, certainly we know that those factors all can occur together.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've heard... Um... Don't quote me directly on this, but I've heard something like one hour a day of sort of leisure entertainment that's, you know, via a screen, right, can be enough to sort of impair one's ability to concentrate uh, to a degree that's significantly recognized, you know, in in the study that's done, right? So, and specifically saying like using technology for the purpose of pure entertainment versus, you know, using it for more productive means um, is going to um, impair, impair attention. It is interesting, you know, when you're when you're saying the the study previously about the prevalence nearly mm-hmm. nearly doubling within that twenty year time frame. It just so happens to be the twenty year time frame that's involved with like the technological revolution, <laughs> right. right? So I'm thinking, yeah, the early two thousands is when people started getting computers in their home, right? Exactly. The two thousand tens is when people everybody started having um, yeah. computers in their pockets, essentially, right? right? right. So uh, there definitely seems to be something at play there. Uh, That is worthy of considering. And one other thing I'd say is, you know, for those that are maybe skeptical about how much media may play a role, um, or or just technology may be playing a role in this, is that while the evidence for uh, this causing ADHD is not super clear, or um, not everybody would necessarily agree on it, um, the I, I think most people would realize that the preponderance of evidence is much more on that side of yes. the aisle than on the yeah. other side <laughs> yeah. of, of it being good for you know attention and um, those that deal with ADHD symptoms.
0: Yeah, we have to be really careful to realize you know when we have a predisposition towards uh, media addiction, any kind of uh, or just over overuse, maybe we'll say yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, also an element of denial sure. because especially if we're tending to overuse uh, media, we don't want to really recognize that we don't have, you know, it's everyone else's problem. It's not my problem. Right. And so we, I think it's important to be open-minded with this.
1: So a couple other risk factors we'll just briefly address, um, brain injury. Dr. Binus mentioned that earlier as being a potential sort of cause or exacerbating factor, exposure to environment, environmental risks, such as lead, excessive copper can be a problem as well. Um, alcohol and tobacco use during pregnancy, uh, can uh, increase the likelihood of ADHD, premature delivery, and low birth weight. Yeah. So, you know, it does matter uh, what's
0: happening to that fetus when uh, they're in utero. And so, um, yeah, moms have to take extra special care. Otherwise, it can really increase the risk of ADD
1: in your kids. So we'll... Uh, we'll conclude with uh, treatment options for ADHD and we won't spend too much time on this because uh, as as Dr. bynas said earlier, this is going to be a series and so we'll have much more time to kind of go through a lot of the more, uh, especially the holistic treatment options um, in in much more detail. but Dr. Binus, why don't you tell us a little bit about just some of the medications that are used? Sure so the main stay of
0: treatment uh, for ADHD has been and I'm sure will continue to be a stimulant medication. Uh, so by stimulant medication we're talking about, Medications like Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse, uh, Focalin, uh, those sorts of medications. And those medications actually work by increasing the availability of norepinephrine and dopamine, which in turn uh, actually stimulates uh, the prefrontal cortex to be able to uh, focus. And you think like, well, a stimulant, how does that make sense to somebody that is actually already Impulsive and seems like they're overstimulated, right? Yeah. Uh, so, what's interesting is that uh, when you give the frontal lobe enough stimulation, not overstimulation, but just enough, uh, then that actually allows it to focus. Now, when people actually use um, drugs like methamphetamine, which actually has the same uh, mechanism of action as these um, stimulant medications, it's a lot higher of a dose. Mm-hmm. And that high level dose of methamphetamine instead of making people you know focus better will actually it will impair frontal lobe function especially in the long term and so that doesn't work. So the stimulant medications are different in that the, the doses are actually very small, just enough to actually cause the frontal lobe to work better. So would it be
1: safe to say it's similar to microdosing <laughs> 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 of sorts? Uh, we, we'll leave it at that. But um, what are some other medications that are sometimes
0: used? So there's also the non-stimulant medications, uh, ones like Stratera, and then actually interestingly enough there's and and but off label as well those actually are um what we call sn ssnr well what they do is they inhibit the reuptake of norepinephrine and on some levels probably dopamine as well um and then there's also some antihypertensives uh which should be like blood pressure, <laughs> blood, pressure blood pressure pills and Jonathan i don't know if you want to comment on how how those can sometimes be helpful for
1: ADHD. Yeah, I, I find that they're often more helpful for the impulsive part. Yeah. And so I don't really find a lot of utility in them in my adult population, unless they tend to be somebody that had deals with, say, a lot of anxiety, um, really strong sort of racing thoughts. And they need, uh, maybe they're taking some time off from their stimulant medication on some days or they have difficulty falling asleep. Those medications I will sometimes use as an adjunct, but in general in the adult population, not as, not as useful in my experience. Yeah,
0: like you said, the impulsivity, the hyperactivity as well so what about supplements jonathan
1: so there's a couple that are that can be definitely really useful as a baseline often iron zinc and omega-3s are a good uh a good combination in addition to magnesium and then there's some more kind of niche supplements that sometimes i'll stack things like l-tyrosine which is the dopamine precursor it's an amino acid that that can help to upregulate dopamine uh things like l-theanine can be calming and there's been a number of studies looking at uh, l-theanine especially for the uh for sleep yeah, uh, for people with ADHD, um, and pine bark, uh, which helps with cerebral blood flow. Um, so there's been some ev- com- some convincing evidence suggesting that that's useful. So if you
0: see Jonathan gnawing on a tree outside, you'll <laughs> you'll know uh, <laughs> he's not acting like a beaver. He's just getting that pine bark. right? Exactly. <laughs> so and and I I've found that you know for some people B6 does seem to help a little bit as well. So. Yeah, and we'll get into more of that in subsequent uh, episodes as well. Um, and then behavioral therapy is is, is another w- really important thing to consider when we're talking about ADHD interventions. Uh, when we think about that, uh, what we're talking about is actually identifying uh, ways of becoming more organized and uh, essentially being very intentional with uh, the choices that people are making, how they're spending their time, getting schedules and that sort of thing to help them manage these symptoms
1: and there is actually there's 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 evidence to uh that has demonstrated fairly, that has demonstrated convincingly that uh appropriate behavioral therapy over the long term can outperform stimulant medication so it it's harder to get a lot of times right. right and it takes longer but for those that are committed to the process and can find a therapist uh that is uh you know well qualified in this uh they can definitely get some good results yeah and so, if you're willing to put in the effort, you can
0: get good results. but that's part of the problem with ADD is like the follow through and all of that. So the last point of uh, intervention for ADHD that we'll mention uh, in this episode is lifestyle changes. And uh, the most important one of those is exercise. Exercise. All right. yes. So exercise has actually shown been shown to be extremely beneficial when it comes to um, helping ADHD symptoms. And also a diet can be, a
1: factor as well do you have just out of curiosity do you think there's a best form of exercise for those with adhd well i would definitely say that
0: cardiovascular exercise where you're you know you're getting your heart rate pumping you're getting your blood really flowing to your brain uh, would be the most uh, important and, and then you know when we think about the um, elements of neuroplasticity ideally have there's several things there, but not just doing like exercise machines. Like Mm -hmm. if you're outside, if you have like new sort of, uh, things that you're trying, whether it's running on a new trail or something like that. So there are some nuances there of types of exercise that can be most beneficial.
1: Yeah. For me personally, and being able to kind of recognize what helps my mental health and my, uh, focus the best, uh, trail running has, has definitely been um, the most obvious in terms of the benefit. Uh, but you, you did mention, uh, you mentioned healthy diets, also, uh, getting adequate sleep. And lastly, uh, reducing screen exposure right, is, is going to be another big uh, component for a uh, lot of people. Absolutely.
0: And so I always emphasize with, uh, young people, uh, children, children, adolescents, uh, you want to really keep this, the entertainment uh, media less than an hour and then adults uh, less than an hour and a half per day. So, yeah, well, that's about all we're going to cover today in this uh, first episode of the series on ADHD. I hope this has been uh, informative and uh, that there's some good key take home points. And uh, I hope you'll join us in the subsequent episodes uh, to learn more about not only how to recognize, but also how to treat and manage ADHD. So, if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this, if mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Bynes,
1: And I'm Jonathan Edens. And you've been listening to The The Brain Brain People People Podcast.
0: Podcast. for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially,
1: visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com.